What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. This is Resistance in Residence, where we profile artists using their gifts to change the world. This week's feature is Kev Choice, a longtime Oakland musician, a classically trained pianist, a composer, a producer, and a rapper whose work is political and presented through a historical trajectory of black arts in Oakland. He was once a musical director for Miss Lauren Hill. He's now a teacher at the Oakland School of the Arts. Kev Choice, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Peace. Peace. So, Kev, let's start in your own musical background, and we're going to start from the very beginning what was your introduction to music itself? And then what was your trajectory in the early stages of learning to play? Well, you know, I feel like the introduction to music was really just from family, just being surrounded by, you know, mothers, aunties, grandmothers, you know, uncles playing music in the home um, and not really being formally trained but really just being trained in the music of the, you know, African-American diaspora, that soul music, R&B, hip-hop music, even, you know, some light jazz at the time, but really just hearing music around the house, seeing records, listening to my mom's records, being very curious, and just having a connection with, with the sound and the way it impacted, you know, just my family in general. Um, and then, you know, formally, you know, seventh grade, I, I opted to take a, an elective, a piano elective, which I was, at that time, I didn't have a fascination with the instrument, but no formal training or introduction to playing it. And through that class, I began to, you know, learn music theory and also just how to play the instrument of the piano. Um, I would also like to say, you know, we don't really necessarily look at, you know, hip hop as how do we get formally trained in that. But I did have, you know, uncles and cousins who were rapping around the house who taught me how to write bars and taught me how to freestyle and freestyling with my friends, which is kind of like the formal training of, of the streets of, of rapping, you know, with other people and in, in, in a community and, and just spending hours and hours practicing rapping and writing you know, you know, with friends and community at that age. So that's kind of how I got into the hip hop practice as well. How did all that learning both outside of formal institutions and also in, in classes, you mentioned your first piano classes in seventh grade. How did that lead you to be focused into being a professional musician? Well, I think from a very early age, I was definitely dedicated to, to the mastery of the instrument, like trying to get better, even from the very rudimentary introduction into scales in my first pieces, you know, there was something in me was like, I want to, I want to get better at this. I know that the more I practiced, I know that the more time I put into it and, you know, and of course having a great teacher also came from a very disciplinary um, aspect of, you know, structure in the classroom of like, this is, how we practice, this is how we engage, this is how we respect the instruments, this is how we respect the music. And it kind of gave me an early respect and regard for even just the opportunity to play the piano and also like the dedication that it took to get good at the piano. So I also had a very strong cohort of, of friends who we kind of pushed each other like, you know, if you're going to learn, you know, two pages, I'm going to learn three pages. If you're going to learn that piece, I'm going to try to learn this piece. So, you know, Oakland at that time was very, you know, thriving and, and young kids really wanted to engage in music and hip hop and culture and 
And then even in my piano class, there was like that that energy around just wanting to get better and wanting to to master this craft of piano. So that that went from learning that and then also going to Young Musicians program at UC Berkeley in the eighth grade, where that opened me into a whole wider world of kids from all over the Bay Area who were already young prodigies playing instruments for many, many years and, you know, studying jazz and studying, you know, chamber music and that kind of opened my eyes up as well to a whole nother world of a dedication at, at a young age of what it took to be great. So those those experiences led me to, to being disciplined and focused for the music at a very young age. I'm wondering if you can talk about what it was like to be learning piano and be studying hip hop and integrating those two worlds. And also, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about what it means to learn piano in a black tradition. Well, honestly, at an early age, the music that I was playing was very distant and very far from the music that I was raised on. You know, my early piano lessons was, you know, centered around learning Bach and Mozart and Beethoven and things like that, which is very foreign to me. And although I didn't understand, you know, the history of the the composers or the the lineage of it i did appreciate the sound and i was connected to the, the 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 ability that that music the technique that that music allowed me at that time you know if we think about traditional you know african-american music you know a lot of musicians are coming up in the church and are learning gospel and are playing by ear and, or playing jazz and learning from you know jazz elders or jazz masters by by ear or by root by root like the blues and things like that so I actually had a unique experience, even as an African-American musician, of coming up in the classical tradition where I learned how to read music first, where I learned pieces and repertoire before I even got into jazz, before I even got into learning how to play by ear, uh, before I was you know, playing with bands and things like that. I really learned from a different tradition, um, which at some point I had to engulf, bring all of those traditions together, my African-American musical background and the classical tradition. And honestly, it took me a while, as, as far as like talking about the hip-hop aspect of it, for a long time, I, I kept them very separate. I did not try to integrate hip-hop with you know, my classical training, nor did I try to m- even mention to my teachers or in a school setting that I was you know, doing hip-hop in my community or on the side or at home or with my friends, because at that time, those worlds were very separate, and even trying to bring them together, people wouldn't even understand that that conversation where I was at. Um, so it took me a while to learn how to integrate both those worlds together, or even have the the courage or the mindset to be like, well, how can I even approach this as one single musician who studied classical, who who has been engulfed in a hip hop tradition, and how can I bring those together and and create something new and different? Well, I'm certainly going to be asking you questions about your own teaching practice a little bit later on in the interview and how you integrate those things. But before we get there, you were talking about seventh and eighth grade. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you can talk about the next steps that led you to some of your other gigs and collaborations. I'm especially thinking about your work with Zumbi from the celebrated Oakland hip hop group Zionai and of course Mm -hmm. your work playing with Lauren Hill. You know, I came home at the age of 25, you know, with a, with a master's degree and immediately began just being engulfed in the, 
the, the, the local scene in Oakland in the Bay Area, um, you know, which led to my first opportunity really touring. My first touring opportunity was Michael Franti and Spearhead and, you know, going around the world, around the country, you know, really for my first time to a lot of these places with that group, you know, um, and just extensively touring Europe, you know, the United States, Australia. Interesting, you know, you know, fun fact on that tour was also MC Radioactive and also a young up and coming singer from Oakland as well, Guapale, who did the first six months of that tour and then came back home and kind of launched her own career. She was a backup um, singer for Michael Franti and Spearhead. She on that was, tour? yeah, she was wow. at that time. Mm-hmm. That's early two thousands, and um, it was at a point where I kind of wanted to branch off from Michael Franti and uh, Spearhead. I came home and actually joined Guapale's band, who had started to perform locally and and somewhat in the states as well. Um, again, performing with her for a year, and I feel like th- during that relationship is where I might have first met Zumi and the Zion Eye crew. Um, and Amp, who were very much closely connected with with Guapale as Amp produced, you know, or co-produced her first hit, Closer. Um, and just from being a community, meeting Amp, meeting Zumbi, being at shows, uh, studio sessions, they kind of saw my skill and Amp started to invite me to a lot of studio sessions and I began to play on some some records. And, you know, years later, they wanted to form, you know, more of a live band configuration for their tour so they added myself and a drummer and i pretty much toured with them you know for a number of years you know supporting you know zion i as a as a crew and becoming a part of zion i crew um continuing to work in the studio with them and just really also forming a brotherhood you know with zumbi and amp and the rest of the crew you know people like c holiday people like deuce eclipse people like dust um dust uh, people like, you know, Locksmith or Los Rakas or even, you know, we went on a, a legendary tour with the Jacka, uh, you know, Los Rakas and Zion I. And they also allowed me to open up as a as an individual artist on that tour. Um, you know, Zumbi was always providing space for people in the crew to showcase their talents, whether that be opening up or whether that be doing a cypher or whether that be taking a solo. So we just had a a strong brotherhood and, you know, eventually even having a studio together here in Oakland that I still hold to this day. So just, you know, a tremendous impact on me personally as in my career and um, really miss that brother. And um, I want to say the Lauren Hill opportunity, <laughs> um, a crazy story is, you know, I was actually touring with Lyric, Lyrics Born at the time and some situations occurred to where I got kind of like, separated from that band where I wasn't no longer a part of that band, or you could call it fired, you can call it just let go, whatever. Um, and the week we were supposed to go on a tour, uh, a couple of dates um, out of town, I had got let go from that band, but it kind of cleared space to that Friday where I got a call from the manager, of, former manager of uh, Spearhead, Papa Pretty, who was a very close relationship with the Marleys and Lauren Hill. And Lauren Hill was in town looking for musicians. And I kind of got called to come through and kind of audition. And from that kind of audition that happened in Emeryville at uh, Expression Studios, she kind of noticed my talent as a pianist and a producer with some of the things she was asking us to do during the audition. And that kind of started a relationship where she literally asked me to put together a band in like 48 hours and, 
and and play on the phone for her. And we, we did that. And she was kind of like, I don't like this person. I don't like that person. Called in some new cats. We did it again. And she liked us. And we literally started touring with her for a whole year after that, um, which was a great experience. I, I'll never say anything negative or, um, you know, despairingly about, you know, Miss Hill, because I learned a lot through that experience. It gave me a lot of confidence and exposure and experience in the industry, uh, working with somebody at that level and that much responsibility. So it was, to me, it was an amazing experience. I mean, we went from everywhere from Dubai to Japan to to Palestine, Israel. Like we went all over the world with a whole Bay Area band that I was able to put together. So that was a very, you know, very great experience for me. And it kind of led me into being more confident in myself as an artist and starting Kev Choice Ensemble. You're listening to Resistance in Residence on Law and Disorder. I'm Jesse Strauss in conversation with Oakland musician Kev Choice. Kev, you were recently memorialized in a really beautiful mural in North Oakland around 51st and Shattuck, alongside Michael Morgan, the longtime conductor of the Oakland Symphony, who passed in 2021. Being put on a wall in that way seems like it's kind of a passing of the torch. Can you share some experiences working with Michael Morgan and the Oakland Symphony? And also, can you talk about what it means to be in a public position holding down Black arts in Oakland? What has that legacy meant before you, and what are you trying to build in your own legacy? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, Michael Morgan was a tremendous, had a tremendous impact on my career, even, you know, back to high school when Michael Morgan first became the conductor of Oakland East Bay Symphony at that time. He literally went around to all the schools talking to students. He came and talked to my orchestra at Skyline High School, um, kind of letting us know what he was doing, who he was, you know, him being a, you know, African-American, you know, conductor. It was just really powerful and, and influential. Um, on to years later where I was actually a, a member of the Grammy board and he was at a an event and I was introduced to him by Liz Luke, um, a great, you know, a community member in, in arts and, and culture um, who was always putting people together and connecting people. And she introduced me to him. And, you know, I think he had heard of me and he was just like, you know, we should do something together. And I was like, kind of like startled, like, really? Like, we, you really want to do something? Like, I didn't think, I didn't really know what he meant at that time, but that led to us having a conversation and him giving me a, the Oakland Symphony basically gave me a commission to write whatever I wanted. And he was like, you know, just be true to who you are. You know, I, I've I've seen your growth. I've seen your your impact on community as a musician. You know, my ensemble had been pretty strong for many years at that time. So he kind of just gave me an opportunity to do whatever I wanted. And I was combining classical and hip hop, um, soul, jazz into this one piece, soul restoration suite, you know, and also dedicated to the roots of Oakland, you know, um, you know, I, I had a, a sweet uh, a piece about, you know, Huey Newton. I had a piece with all of the Oakland hip hop, uh, hip hop medley, and also just talking about soul restoration and an overture of 1852, which is basically telling the history of Oakland all the way back to the inception. So he he empowered me to to be adventurous and to, to do something that was true to myself and true to Oakland, which was a great opportunity which led to even another opportunity during a pandemic where he was collaborating with SF Symphony San Francisco. And he pulled me in to do a, a digital series, Currents, talking more about hip hop and the combination of activism and, and artistry in Oakland that we're so dedicated to. And I created a piece called Movements, 
which actually San Francisco Symphony released on their record label, which for a hip hop artist from Oakland is a very powerful and very great opportunity. And um, a lot of that, all of that was really curated, you know, by Michael Morgan and him, you know, bringing me into these spaces. So it's really powerful, um, you know, now to be in a board member for the Oakland Symphony and, you know, after he passed, you know, a lot of us in community have had to step up and try to replace that void that he did as an educator, as a as an activist, as someone pushing forward the culture of of symphony and orchestras. And as a black musician in 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 Oakland, you know, we, we think about so much of the history and even in the classical world, thinking about Calvin Simmons and how great of a young conductor and powerful musician he was, and thinking about Michael Morgan, thinking about people like Khalil Shaheed, thinking about so many of, of my mentors who have kind of passed that torch and being a part of that mural just kind of solidified that and also just made me feel like, you know, I still, I had the opportunity here alive to continue to do that work and kind of inspired me and pushed me to continue to do more. So you mentioned the combination of activism and artistry in Oakland. Um, Your music is often very political, but you've also spoken at rallies and been engaged with community organizing projects outside of music. I'm wondering how did politics or activism like enter your world? Has it been there your whole life? And then how do you integrate it into your music work? You know, I feel like, you know, growing up in Oakland, we've always had somewhat of a eye on the pulse of political activism or social justice. Even growing up as a youth, you know, my high school, we organized walkouts around, you know, Rodney King. Um, we organized walkouts around racial injustice, you know, even as a youth. I feel like coming back after college, something that really politically activated a lot of us, of course, was the Oscar Grant uh, situation. And, you know, that was something that was so dear, so close to us. Um, I just remember even the day the day after so many of us being at that at Fruvel bar station and looking around as artists. I remember Zumi was there. I remember Tim House was there. I remember Davey D was there. I remember so many artists that I knew were there and we were like, you know, we got to do more than just create music. We got to speak out. We have to use our, our, our network, our community, our platform to uplift our community. Cause, cause people were so hurt by that. It was something that was so, so impactful, not even Oakland, but across the world. So we, we recognize that. And also having incredible leaders like, you know, Cat Brooks, um, who was leading these rallies, leading these protests, and also calling on us as artists, like, I'm going to need you to come through and say something, or I'm going to need you to come through and perform, or can you bring your art into this space? So being so closely connected with political activists who are organizing rallies, who are organizing, you know, marches and protests, and just being asked to show up as artists, and also just going to support the incredible work that they were doing, you know, um, even during the Occupy movement, even all the way to, you know, marches and protests around Mike Brown. And I feel like everything that happened around our country, Oakland always responded and community would always ask on us to come through and bring our music as a voice. And I I just became one of those people that would always try to be available, always try to say yes. Also just used a lot of the, you know, social justice and social activism going on in my community as inspiration for my music, like my album Love and Revolution was really inspired by me just standing at, at numerous rallies, standing at protests, going to meetings and be like, what can I, what more can I do as a musician? Like, I feel like 
I, I needed to do more than just stand and, and yell and scream and be angry. I needed to use my voice and use my music as a vehicle and also a soundtrack and inspiration for the people in my community that were dedicating their lives to this fight for social justice. And that's kind of what I started to do. So you mentioned that Cat Brooks and also other organizers have asked you to come show up as artists at rallies and events. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, as a working musician and as a working artist, mm-hmm. if it ever becomes complicated around how do you draw the lines about who you show up for or who hires you? Like, is there a point when mm-hmm. you say, based on who this is or how this person is rolling, I'm going to have to turn this work down because it doesn't fit into my political orientation. Yeah, definitely. And that's also a very you know thin line that we have to walk. Um, and I've also been criticized, you know, for certain, mm-hmm. you know, groups or organizations or politicians who I may have lent my music, musical talents to, um, you know, especially here in Oakland, there's, there's, there's a lot of polarizing figures especially if we're talking about city politics. And I would also say that something that got me really deeply involved in politics is volunteering for, you know, different political parties. I mean, and also political campaigns and learning more about the process, about, you know, how do people even win campaigns? How how do you even become elected? Um, and I, I feel the election of Barack Obama really got me inspired to learn more about the process and just seeing how closely tied I was to, you know, who was running for city council or who was running for mayor. Like, these are people that I see every day or I see around. So I was like, how can I learn more about how do you even get involved in that process? And sometimes, you know, maybe I might support a certain candidate or and that candidate doesn't turn out to be what I expect. And, you know, you got to take that criticism. Or sometimes as an artist and a community member, you know, certain politicians may ask me to perform something that represents the whole city and then I can get tied into doing something that, you know, is reflective of that politician's politics. And at the end of the day, I've learned that I have to, you know, I have to learn how to stand by every decision that I make. I'm not always going to make the the right decision, but I have to just, you know, lead with being true to who I am as a community member and as an artist and, and just try to make decisions based on how I'm reflecting what I believe in and also what's going to be in the best interest of my community as well, which is difficult. It's, it's super difficult. That's the voice of Kev Choice. You're listening to Resistance in Residence on Law and Disorder. Kev, we are running out of time, but I have two more questions for you. Um, one, you mentioned inspiration, and I'm wondering politically and also musically, what's inspiring you right now? Well, I say politically, you know, I'm really inspired by, you know, the voices of communities who have for many years been, you know, marginalized or been oppressed and who are standing up and also actually really leading a lot of our political uh, motion. Um, I would say, you know, the youth um, in our community who are, you know, more active than ever organizing rallies, you know, forming organizations, being part of organizations, getting ballot measures pushed. Like, I feel like our youth are very strong right now. Also looking at you know, the movement around, you know, gender equality, uh, you know, women, abortion rights, uh, those communities, those people who are continually getting, you know, decisions turned against them or politicians, you know, pushing against them, but also 
continuing to fight and continuing to organize and getting even stronger in their resilience. Um, that has definitely inspired me. And also just, you know, seeing around the country so many different new new leaders stepping in to spaces with new ideas that are not along the lines of political parties, but bringing new ideas, new concepts, and a, a fresher perspective, which I feel like we really need in American politics in general. We just need more perspectives and more ideas and more people willing to challenge the status quo of what our government is, is doing currently. I'm I'm so glad you mentioned the youth and how youth are inspiring, because that's a perfect segue to my last question for you, which is that you're also a teacher at the Oakland School of the Arts. Mm-hmm. We've talked about your inspiration from Michael Morgan and your work collaborating with him. We've talked about your collaborations with other incredible Bay Area based and international artists. How do you bring all that background to your students? What are your classes like? In every class, I try to be really authentic to my students because I feel like that's something I needed and wish I had more of it at that age, like somebody who Number one, wasn't afraid to to be them true selves in front of me, not like trying to play a role as a teacher or instructor or an authority figure. Somebody who's willing to listen to their ideas, um, somebody who's willing to bring in my day-to-day experiences into the classroom and let them know, like, this is what I'm experiencing as a professional. This is what I'm experiencing as an adult. And these are some of the things that you're probably going to experience as well. And this is how I handle them. Um, and this is, you know, how you can prepare yourself to be successful in whatever you want to do, whether that's a musician or or any other thing. Being that I'm here at Oakland School for the Arts and I'm one of the few Oakland natives, I definitely try to bring in the values and the 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 responsibility community that I gained as an Oakland as an Oakland youth. Um, try to encourage our students to stay connected with their Oakland community. Uh, we talk about current events in Oakland or in the world and how that impacts us all. And it's also just encouraging them to stay as current and informed as possible in whatever they're doing, whether that's music, whether that's visual arts, whether that's dance, theater, whatever artistic practice, like really stay informed about what's happening currently in in your field and how you can stay on top of that. So of course, you know, I bring in, you know, the the experience that I have on a day-to-day basis. I, I don't try to act like I'm bigger than them. I try to see them eye to eye um, and let them know that I'm learning as much as they're learning on a day-to-day basis. And really communities grow and this relationship grows when we learn how to learn together and respect each other. So that's kind of how my classroom is. And I try to be fun. You know, I feel like I'm one of the teachers that can, you know, I know what they're listening to. I know what type of music they're listening to. I know what type of clothes they're trying to buy. I know where they're hanging out at because I'm still much keeping my ear to the street. So I try to engage with them on that level as well. All right, Kev, we've got to wrap up, but I'm wondering what music are you listening to right now and what's inspiring you? Wow. Um, I'm listening to a lot. I always stay listening to the classics. I'm always listening to Stevie. I'm always listening to, you know, Herbie. And I'm always listening to, you know, the jazz greats, you know, Chick Corea, John Coltrane. Also listening to a lot of the new stuff. I, I listen to a lot of, you know, Kendrick's new record is really, Kendrick Lamar's new record is really inspiring. Um, a lot of the new jazz um, artists, you know, putting out, you know, records are really inspiring to me. Christian Scott, 
people like um, Marquise Hill, and of course, all you know, a lot of the the local cats as well um, who are putting out music. I just try to keep my ear and attention to all of the amazing things that are happening locally and around the world. So I'll be trying to listen to everything. <laughs> And also the new Kev Choice music that I'm working on, listening to that a lot as well. That's right. I'm looking forward to listening to that too. Kev, how can people follow your work and what are your socials? Definitely, um, you can follow me at www.kevchoicemusic.com. Uh, all my socials are at Kev Choice. Uh, that's Instagram, Twitter, um, you know, Facebook, Kev Choice. And look out for me on TikTok. I'm going to take TikTok over. We got to go there too. You're listening to Law and Disorder. I'm your host, Jesse Strauss, and this has been Resistance in Residence with this week's feature, Kev Choice. Kev, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Much love. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. Our Resistance in Residence theme music was composed by Jesse Strauss. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis. And subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listeners. If you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. Mm-hmm.